Welcome to the channel. I'm your host for today, Claire Headley, and this is my next episode of Scientology Stories, in which I interview people about their experiences in Scientology, as well as how they got out of Scientology. No matter how you first heard of Scientology, we hope you will learn from these stories and that we can educate you in the language and abusive practices of Scientology along the way. And here's my important note. Whether you are currently in Scientology, a former Scientologist, or just curious about it, the bottom line is Scientology does not want you to hear these stories. So thank you for being here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for helping us to educate people on the true nature of Scientology. And now I'd like to welcome my guest for today, someone I've come to consider as a dear friend. My guest is Sasha Zabitnov, who is a second generation, was a second generation Scientologist, grew up in Scientology. And today we'll, we will be talking about Sasha's experiences growing up in Scientology, including how he got out. Welcome, Sasha. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> yes, great to be here. Thank you so much for being here today. I know it's, I don't know, I think it's always challenging in many respects to share and talk about experiences of growing up in Scientology. So I appreciate you doing this with me. Oh, no, happy to do it. Awesome. So where do you want me to start? How do you want me to go? Yeah, so I think um, I think for for context, it would be good to just share that you actually were friends with Mark growing up. That's right. And you and I never, our paths never crossed within Scientology. Um, but I'm just so grateful to have had the opportunity to get to know you and now your beautiful wife, Helen, and spend time with you guys. And it's just, you know, I think it's, it's awesome to have such beautiful connections outside of that crazy world that we were a part of. Um, yeah, but with that, where would you like to to start? No, no, that, that's happy to start there, and thank you for, for all of that. It is it is really touching to be connected um, on the back end of Scientology. Um, yes. So I'll go back to the start, which is actually where I met Mark, which is at Apple School, which is way back when he was much younger, and his mom worked there. Um, I think she was actually the Boy Scout or Cub Scout den mother, and mm. uh, I was part of that. Um, so I went. went at Apple School. My mom moved to New Hampshire when I was in f fourth grade or fifth grade. I was uh, my fifth grade. I started in New Hampshire, which was not a Scientology school. My mom was what she was part of a uh, an effort to work for a company that was run by Scientologists that was in, in software called Real World. And I lived there for the fifth to eighth grade. And uh, but it was tough for me because, you know, nobody heard of Scientology or anything like that. And that was what I knew. I knew all my, all my MUs or demo kits and this wasn't being used. So I thought like, oh, my gosh, this is really weird. And not only that, but New Hampshire is vastly different than Los Angeles as far as yeah. anybody and the Scientology community. So then I really had a desire. And my dad also was like, hey, you could come back to and there's this new school called Delphi Academy and you can go there. So I went to Delphi Academy. And that was great. That's where I got to see Mark again um, and several other people that was just wonderful. And I got to the state of clear, um, went to an auditor at L.A. Day, even though it was odd because I was doing it during foundation hours. But it was I was part of the L.A. Day org. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and so the story of how I got out, because I was a pretty committed Scientologist with pretty good friends. Uh, but the 
day before my graduation from Delphi in June of 1990, I went with a number of my friends to see the movie um, Dick Tracy in Studio City. And on our way back, we were like the late show and it was like one o'clock in the morning. We dropped off one of my friends, uh, Michael Coleman. And I don't know, if, should I use the real names? I don't know if I should be using actual names or not. Does it matter? It's up to you. I don't okay. think it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I don't know. I'm just yeah. I'm sensitive to people. But but anyway, yeah. um, we dropped him off and then we were driving up to uh, to my friend Chris's house. And on the 210 freeway, and the lady was going the wrong way on the freeway, and uh, it was she was doing about 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, and I was doing 70, 80 miles an hour. So I moved hard to, to avoid her. Sadly, as I turned hard to the right, she turned hard to the right. Both drivers got the worst of it. Um, oh so gosh. I was in a head-on collision. Um, I had two passengers with me. Uh, I'll just use their names, Peter Milford and, and Chris Courier. Um, that... Uh, I had like, this is plastic surgery on my face. I had my, my, my leg was femur was broken. It was just, I was in a coma and I was um, just wow. in a terrible state. But as you might imagine with the Scientology community, I was swarmed by the Scientology community. I went to, um, <laughs> and Pasadena, um, oh gosh, what, what's it? Huntington Memorial hospital. And, um, and I was in the ER or, and I was in intensive care unit I was getting, and I had head trauma. So anyway, but Scientologists were around me 24 seven, you know, I was getting touch assist, all these things to help me get back on and come back to life. And, um, and I was, I actually had a really remarkable recovery. I was, and they were very noted that I was recovering very well. And um, Chris's dad said, well, you know, you got to do the next thing, which was the key to life course. That was the thing to do. Yeah. And he said, you're going to do this with Chris. And he was like, sort of, this is my prescribed road i'm like okay i guess that's what i'm gonna do um my and, dad and was like, well you know i don't know yeah and and, and uh, sorry for context for anyone listening who's like key to life course <laughs> that my i actually supervised or oversaw that course for five years and really it's uh a little odd that it's a scientology course it's in retrospect yeah it's grammar and you're clearing uh looking up extensive definitions of all the small common words with the idea being that if you can't thoroughly understand the English language, you can't possibly thoroughly understand Scientology. Wouldn't you say that's a fair description? Yeah, it was yeah. All, all it was. It was just so they trying. were, yeah. So they were trying to get you to do the key to life course with Chris, who was also in the accident. That's right. right. Okay. He was. And, and he, he only broke his, his uh, index finger. That was all he, um, Peter broke also his femur bone, but they were both very aware. They were not in the same state that I was in. I was wow. in the worst state, actually. I remember Chris told me later on that he just thought that was it. I was done. I was, wow. I was gone. Thank goodness. So, that and then the jaws really of life really. had to pull open the car. I mean, it was a sob, which was a safe car, but um, it was it was a pretty traumatic experience. Um, and uh, so I was grateful, but that was the the idea um, I had asked the, the cost of the course at that time was $8,000. And my dad said, no, you have to figure out your own money. And I'm like, oh, gosh, because to that point, I was already clear. My dad was already paying for all of that. I probably spent around $30,000 getting to clear. And I just seemed like, OK, well, you just go to him. And he's like, no. Well, as it turns out, he went to flag and he ran into a woman named Aaron Stewart, who, as it turns out, when I was at Delphi, I did do a program right after the Tiananmen Square incident where um, there was a teaching English as a second language opportunity in China where they had somebody come to Delphi to talk about the experience from CCHR, 
Citizens Commission of Human Rights, which is a Scientology front organization. Um, and as, is, it, as is Delphi. As is Delphi, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's all part of applied scholastics. Or, or, but anyway, so so this was this opportunity that was there. And Chris and I just shot our hands up like, oh, yeah, we want to do this. And while everybody else was sort of taking a step back, we're like, oh, we don't want to be part of this. But we were like, yeah, let's go. We want to see what China looks like. And it was an incredible experience. I was brought to the Western um, side of China, worked under this woman from Australia named Erin Stewart. And had an incredible experience. It was just and, remarkable. Uh, okay. And this was before the accident. This was before the accident. That was in okay. 1989. So about okay. a year before. Um, and that was just an absolutely incredible experience. But anyway, Mox, my dad ran into Aaron at flag and and she was doing some course there and they were chatting and my dad had this epiphany oh sasha should do the key to life course in sydney australia and i'm like well i'm not going to say no to that and he was mm-hmm. willing to lend me the eight thousand dollars and the price of the flight so i went and t- took a flight over to sydney and i was supposed to stay with aaron aaron when i arrived there was a woman who had my i mean it's a little sort of side story but had my name. I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to be with you. But it wasn't Aaron. And she, I learned that Aaron was fell sick and she was in the hospital. So she was going to put me up. And it was in Bondi Junction. It's an incredibly beautiful apartment. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And she said, like, yeah, I usually charge about a hundred bucks um, a week. And I only brought a hundred dollars with me thinking that I was just going to be, you know, staying in somebody's house while doing this course. And my dad was not going to give me any more money because he gave me all the money. So I was like, oh my God. Anyway, so I had to figure things out. These are a little bit of a details. I ended up, I found the Athena School. I became a word clearer there where I was able to exchange for room and board. And then I became a, a nanny for a house. And that neither here nor there. But and, I, I was and doing is the, Athena, Athena is a Scientology school in Australia? It is. It is. Okay. It's, like, it's like Delphi. Um, and it was very familiar to me. And they, they were very like, oh, wow, you, it's, you're a Delphi graduate. I was like... I walked on water. I was somebody who was an example that this is what their students were aspiring to. And so I got to be, so that was a cool feeling. And it was really, for me, I was great. I was actually, at the time, I actually said, you know, I got to pack up and leave. I had a, a, a return ticket that I could choose whenever I wanted to return. And I was going to basically pull out early and just say, this didn't go. Yeah. But, and I was just going to say my, my goodbyes to the Athena school just because I figured, well, since I'm here, I might as well say hi to them since I'm a Delphi graduate and I knew it was a Scientology school. And they were immediately like, oh, we can help you out. And that was actually, it worked out beautifully because I ended up eventually becoming a nanny. And that was, so I had a whole system that worked out for me to be able to stay. It was just, hmm. it just landed on my lap. But where we were, where I was in Dulwich Hill, going to the AO, where I did the Key to Life course in Sydney, I, I took public transportation during the day. And then at night I'd watch their kids on the weekends. And it was, it was great. It was a great system. And they helped me, they fed me and all this stuff. But while I was doing that, and, and I went to the, and, I, and when you were doing the key life course, there was times where you had to do attestations of different achievements or whatnot that I had to go to uh, and go on to see an auditor for something. I forget ex- exactly why, but <clears throat> always a PC lounge, which I was very familiar with. I would run into people that knew L. Ron Howard or had seen him work with him or had experiences with him. And I was like, Oh, well, tell me your story. What was, what was he like? Yeah. And they were like, Oh, he was incredible. He he was just so knowledgeable. He was always on point just, and I was like, Oh, this is, this is awesome. I mean, this, that's great. And then, but every time I heard it, I kept on hearing that. And I was like, 
I was looking for the story that made him sound more human. I wanted something that told me, like, you know, there was this one time where, and I'm like, ah, that would have been nice to hear, but nobody ever had that. It's like, that's, yeah. there's something peculiar about that. So, right. Uh, and so I just kind of didn't know how to think about that because everybody always was just consistently there. So I, I, while I was traveling to and from where I was staying with this house to the a AO, I somehow conjured up this image and I don't know where I came up with it, but it was just a test because this was a 1990 LRH died in 86. So he was no longer alive. So it's kind of like no way to really find one way or the other. But I decided to say, imagine he were still alive and imagine he were put at gunpoint, that there were some terrorists, some awful people. And they said, LRH, you have a choice. We will take your life or you find five people to die for you. What do you choose? And that seemed like a, okay, let me, what would he do? And as I thought about that, um, my first answer was, uh, was Obi-Wan Kenobi in the, the famous scene and where he holds up his lightsaber and then Darth Vader takes him down and he just disappears. And, and then there he becomes this image or, or ghost or whatever the spirit that that supports the force and i said that's that's lrh that's that's my guy that this is somebody if if that's what lrh would do well, shoot i would join a religion founded by obi-wan kenobi so i'm in <laughs> so i was pretty happy and i would be and you know, i was doing the key to life course you know always do your wins and your successes at the end and i you'd applaud to the picture of lrh and i would be fervently apollo clapping and going, wow, this is, I am proud and delighted to be a Scientologist. This is really cool. So anyway, and I was still going to and from the org and that, that image with the terrorist and the gunpoint and LRH sitting there just would not escape my head. I just hmm. kept on being asked that question. What would he do? What would he do? For whatever, for whatever reasons, I kept on asking myself, what would, what would he do? And I go, okay, I'm going to accept the fact that he would do the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. Just let's just say or imagine he had that off day and he decided to go the other way. And I know he wouldn't do that, but let me just pretend for the moment that he would. Mm -hmm. And then I just started taking it to that next step. And when I started taking that next step of what would happen, I went, oh my God, he could go to somebody on the RPF. He could go to people in the Sea Org. How could anybody say no? I could even imagine my dad being honored to be one of the people to be dying for him. I mean, it was just mm. that. And I went, that is really weird. And maybe this was a mistake. Maybe this wasn't the way LRH intended the organization to be designed. But for some reason, this organization is in such a way that people would actually allow their lives to be taken and may not even have a choice about that matter or feel that they have a choice. Right. And that was for me, the first thread that I started pulling on and going, that is odd. And that made me start thinking differently. Yeah. Like the fanatical fervor of there's nothing they wouldn't do for this man. Yeah. You're right. And yeah. this, this, that there's just, and that, because for me, I mean, I, I mean, I could joke around about LRH and whatnot, but it's just that the organization was just to a point where like, there's something here that there's just something I need to figure out. Anyway, mm -hmm. I went back to the States and my quote godmother, her name's June Klein. Um, she worked under LRH as a has. Her son was my best friend from when I was two till I was nine. 
And uh, she was a, she was in the Sea Org. She she knew this whole thing at this time though. She had left the church. She had left several years earlier, but we never talked about it. We kind of had this don't ask, don't tell kind of relationship. We kept her and that was okay. She knew I was very much doing services. She knew I just came back from doing the key to life course. She was totally, was never going to say anything disparaging about Scientology, but she was Yeah. And sorry. And so you were 17 at this point? I would have been 18. Okay. 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 Awesome. Go ahead. Sorry. I just wanted to make sure I'm tracking with like, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's fair. And so she, she was, um, so I knew she had worked under LRH. So I'm like, okay, she's got the goods. She's going to give me a real answer. If I could ask her what she thought of LRH, I'm going to get some truth. And so I decided one morning we went out for breakfast and I remember saying, June, I want to ask you about Ron Hubbard. And she said, no, you don't. You, <laughs> you want to go to the church and you can ask your question, but don't ask me. You don't need to ask me. And I said, no, I do. I really do. And I really pushed her and she really held back. And she just said, I can't. I really can't. She was being very respectful. I, I have to, I mean, looking back, I, I can very much appreciate her efforts to really, in a sense, protect me and allow me to take the right move, but she could hear I was really pushing her. And she finally said, well, if you want to know, I had a lot of difficulties with him. I mean, he was a smart guy, but he was very pushy. He was just, I, I actually can't say that I really appreciated him on a number of different fronts. And I had a lot of challenges with him. And I was like, thank you. And finally, you got a real answer, right? I got a real answer. <laughs> and, and for me, I was like, that's fine. you know. And in my own head, I immediately said, okay, she's got her own overs withholds. So that's all fine. But I got a real answer. I go back to the church. And so I was going to be a happy Scientologist. All I needed was that truth. And she said, well, that's not all. You know, she, he let his wife go to prison. He stole money from the church. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? So yeah, there's a book written about it called Barefaced Messiah. And she says, if you want... You know, it's totally up to you, but I can give you a copy of it and you can read it on your own. But I, but this is totally your app if you want to do that or not. And I said, yeah. I, and I hadn't even heard of the book before. I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. Bareface Messiah by Russell Miller. I'll, li- I'll link to that. It's a brilliant book. I, oh, I completely it was, agree it, with June. <laughs> yeah. So, and she was great. And I remember, and I, so she gave me the book and I started reading it. And, and I, the first part of it goes through and says, if you're in Scientology, this is the story of Alron Hubbard as you understand it. You know, he was born in a, on a ranch. He learned a language overnight. There was some Indian named Blackfoot. He went to George Washington University. All of these things were like, check, 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 check. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. That's what I knew growing up. And he says, well, I, I'm a journalist, and this is what actually happened. There was no ranch. There was, I'm like, what? There was no ranch? What a benign fact. But it wasn't there that that it wasn't there. I mean, just that by itself was like, wait a minute. You mean this was a lie? Right. Like if you'd lie about something, like you said, if you'd lie about something so benign, what else are you lying about? <laughs> to be fair, that's where logic drives you, at least yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was really kind of like this. And so just reading about these, like this, like the George Washington University, you know, these little things that just it didn't matter. But it was like, why? This is like. So I just, I couldn't, I read 30 pages. I had to shut it. I said, this is, I just couldn't, I was in disbelief. Wow. I didn't even know how to think about this. And I just kind of felt I was in this ivory tower. Like I didn't even know who to trust, who to talk to or anything. 
And I remember it actually was, I actually fell on a Scientology belief, which is what's true for you is true for you. And I just had to say, okay, I'm going to hold to that. At least that's something I can just still carry and believe. Yep. Um, and then my mom called and she, she was like, Hey, I heard you're reading this book, Barefaced Messiah. I'm like, hold on, mom. I can't talk to you. You are, you have probably overts and withholds. And because she had left the church earlier because my stepfather wasn't really part of it and she had sort of made a choice not to be part of it but again we were part of this I don't see. ask don't tell and so she so sort she, of was, she was out but she was she under was the radar. She, she was walking the line to maintain contact with you i'm guessing yeah i mean like going to delphi I mean, we saw multiple instances where there would be you know all of us were basically second generation second generation scientologists one parent leaves then that either that person then disappears as well, or they're put their stay and they've decided to disconnect from the one that left. I see. And that's the, the, the child or the parent. The, the the child would be put in that. that the, the fear was that my mom didn't want to put me in that position of me having to make that call. Right. Saying, okay, I have to now disconnect from you. She just didn't want to. She was scared of that reality. Yeah. I think as, right. As I would be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was, I was obviously the, on the child end of that too. But even as a child, to me, it was the thought that I might be required to disconnect from my mother, who was a single parent, you know, at age six, as my friend had to do at age six was terrifying. Yeah. So that, that's, that's the, so anyway, so that, that I had to sort of take my distance from her and she was good. She sort of took her, she knew, and, and June was also very good. Like if you have any questions, but I don't, you don't need, this is all you. You ask your questions, but I'm not telling you what to do. You can yeah. go back to the church. That's totally fine. Yeah. And so I appreciated that space. Yeah. Um, I remember I went up to see my dad. There was a family reunion up in Ukiah, Northern California. I had shared some of my doubts with him. And he was kind of like, you know, that's all right. You know, it's always good. To, and it was like, okay, that's fine. And, and, and I, was he still in Scientology at that He was point? very much so. He, he was, was Okay. He was very okay. much, uh, he was OT5 and was, but he had, yeah, he had a long road, for, wanted to be a Scientologist and very much a believer. Okay. Um, so then I remember went to the New Year's Eve event, I think it was a Shrine Auditorium. And, you know, it's always these huge events. And I decided to sit in the back of the auditorium just to sort of sit and watch. And just, I wasn't really wanting to be part of it, but I was okay. That was what we did. And I, I've done it many times. And I, I remember just sort of watching the way it went and watching David Miscavige and the way he would sort of do his patter. And then everybody would just stand up and applaud and then they'd sit down. And it was just always this standing up and applauding and sitting down. It was just this constant up and down. And it just, I said, oh, boy, we have a bunch of automatons. Nobody is really, they're just applauding because of the way he said his voice. I mean, da, 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 da. And yeah. Okay. Yay. And then we just, and that was the, what we did. And it was just, it was just odd. And, but anyway, Interesting. That's a very interesting observation. Uh, you're absolutely right. That's completely what it was. It was like the now we're supposed to like, da da da. Right. <laughs> Everyone that, stand up and clap and great. And who even knows? It, it was just such, such flowery, fluffy words that really, at, in, in retrospect, represented absolutely nothing, really. Yeah, it was it was just but that was that was the community, though. That was the community that we were part of. And that was what you knew. But anyway, so then um, and my mom, for me to go to college, she agreed to pay for school if I went to University of New Hampshire. So I went back to UNH or to New Hampshire. And that was, 
I was great. I became I, and I had a lot of questions, so I became a philosophy major. And I spent I spent time there. The next summer, I came back. I agreed to go into session with my auditor, the auditor that that brought me to Clear. His name was Lee, um, and he had went through this exercise. It was really interesting because people were aware of my status of kind of questioning the church. Mm. And he put me into session and said, "Okay, I'm going to pretend to be you. You be pretend to be Chris, who was my basically my best friend or a very close friend of mine at the time." And I remember we were going through this exercise, and he just pretending to meet me says, oh, I just don't want to be a Scientologist anymore. And I would have never said that, but I was amazed that he actually duplicated maybe what I was thinking. And I just had this really like, wow, that was really quite something. Hmm. Um, But anyway, they asked me to do the personality test. I actually scored fairly highly on most of the domains. One of them I think was a little bit closer to normal, Um, but they, they asked me to go meet with the registrar, Joe Bueno. And, um, there, there was a, there was an ad and somebody from Uplines, I forget what his name was, but anyway, they, and they were asking me, well, what are you doing now? What, what are you studying? And I said, I was studying philosophy and I was actually happy about that. And I said, wait a minute, who's the best philosopher in, in the, in the planet or in the universe for that matter? And I, and I go, well, while I'm in this room, I really only have one answer I can give you, which is L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> but, but that's by default. And that's not, and, and I say that because I don't know any different. Yeah. And you have been blessed with a life before coming to Scientology. So you've studied everything and you said, okay, this is the answer. I did. So just let me take a chance. And if everything is, you say, I should be rushing back here. And uh, they're like, no, you need, sadly, while it was a very good response, I do remember the response. Um, you said, you need to do the false purpose rundown. And like, oh my gosh. Meaning, meaning for translation that you have, you have alleged so-called evil purposes, quote unquote, something is, like that. Which is I, why you would even question that the 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 theory being, of course, again, all roads lead to Rome in Scientology. <laughs> that if you even so much as dare to question anything, it's because you're a bad person, you've done bad things, you have evil purposes, whatever. It's you have overt withholds, you have misunderstandings, whatever. I then I started going with the the idea that I'm in the condition of doubt. And I actually like the condition of doubt. That was mm-hmm. a very nice, I hated doing the conditions, but the way the condition of doubt was written, it really gave me a safe haven. Okay. I had to find my allegiance. Yeah. I didn't know where my allegiance was. Maybe my allegiance was with Scientology or maybe it wasn't. But at least for now, I can just say I'm in the condition of doubt. And I was at that time allowed to do that. And that was good. I remember there was a Delphi brunch. Um, that was going on. And I knew that there were questions about me and I actually offered to step away and not go to the Delphi alumni brunch. And the, the headmaster, headmistress, Mary Coburn, she was very kind. I actually, I, I remember I sent her a note saying, uh, I, I, I respectfully, while I would like to go, I would don't want to create any more animosity or any difficulty. So I'm happy to not attend. Hmm. He said, no, 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 you're, you are a Delphi graduate and you always will be. And so you are always, and if anybody gives you any difficulty about choices you've made, um, and even now, and I was still kind of in doubt, but it was just, you're, you, I will support you. Nobody should give you any difficulty about where you stand with Scientology. So I was like, okay. And I did go and it was, nobody asked me. And so it was all nice. Good. I went back to UNH. I did, um, I was doing philosophy. I was also doing a theater class and I run into, a. Uh, Another group, which was really fascinating, it was just a sort of a side note, but it was really, to me, fascinating to run into. It's called the Boston Church of Christ. And there was somebody who said, hey, we, 
we'd like to, you know, be friends. And I was looking for friends. I was living with my mom in Concord, New Hampshire, and UNH is over in Durham, about 40 minutes away. So I had to drive back and forth 40 minutes every time. So it was a little bit of a distance and I wasn't on campus. I was actually a part-time student. The reality was that actually UNH did not accept me as a student or my application. I was rejected. Um, and I challenged them and they said, well, you're welcome to be a part-time student. And if you can put up your grades up, um, you could be, you can apply again. But so, so your, your graduating from Delphi didn't set you right. in good they, 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 didn't, they didn't They didn't appreciate the credentials of Delphi. Even though Delphi claimed that I was a straight A student, they didn't recognize it, nor did they accept it. So I, yeah, that makes I went. sense. But luckily, I, I had enough gumption to actually sort of say, what do I do? And they gave me a path. And that was the path. So I was a part time student. I, and I actually became a full time student, in a sense, because I told one professor my situation. He says, well, you can audit this class. You're not officially on any books. And then officially take the class when you're accepted the next semester. Oh. And never attend. So I, I, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but anyway, I, I was doing... Um, the Boston Church of Christ was great. These people were really nice. They had me say, hey, why don't you come to Bible Talk? Sure. And I got to meet these really nice people. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed them. And I got along with them really well. And they were giving me a community, everything that I needed. And of course, they wanted me to get baptized. And I was like, no, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, wait a minute. These are all Scientologists. They're just using different words. Hmm. And that wow. was a, an interesting kind of cognition, if you will. Of like, wow, this is just, they're just all Scientologists. And I'm same, just same walk, different talk. <laughs> right. That was exactly it. Uh, and then the other thing, the other person that I met, which is really interesting, um, was a guy who was also, he turns out he was familiar with Scientology. And I was like, oh, really? You know Scientologists? Yes. But I'm not studying it to become a Scientologist. I'm studying it to figure out how L. Ron Hubbard did it. I wow. want to do the same thing L. Ron Hubbard did. And I'm like, really? And he was a very charismatic individual and he was always trying to get the, and I was like, this is kind of interesting. So I, his, his name wasn't Keith Ranieri by chance. No, no, no. <laughs> no. And I actually did it one, one in the original letters. I did give his actual names and he actually did see his name posted there. And he actually asked that. It, and I did have Bernie change disguise his name, which is fair enough because yeah. he probably is not an L Ron Hubbard. He's probably a, a good person, but at the time there was certainly, it was interesting to hear his thought process and how he was. And he was like sleeping with multiple different women. We, we agreed that he would tell me everything he was doing to, to sort of gain what he wanted to do. Literally he really wanted to brainwash people. He wanted to figure out how to do that. So he saw the, the machinery that Hubbard had put in place right. with some efficacy and was and, trying yeah, and to replicate that. Was a good model that he could then somehow replicate and do that. And he wanted to figure out how to do that. And he, hmm. and we agreed to have this kind of academic agreement where I would share with him my thoughts about how, what works and doesn't work in exchange for him sharing with me everything he was doing. Huh. And he would like, he'd make a, a candle for somebody. And this was because she, he knew she was an opinion leader and this was, and he was really trying to charm her, not because he had any real attraction for her, but just because it was more of this is how I'm sort of using these people. And this was, these were all different pawns that he was playing with. And he was sort of letting me know how that was working and, and how he could sleep with this person, that person. And he was sort of sharing with me all this stuff over a period of time. And I was, I started realizing this is just not a good guy. I just didn't like him. 
And I was kind of, and I was sort of aiding and abetting to a certain extent. I was sort of showing him and, and sharing what, uh, what my experiences were and what I thought would work, what wouldn't work. And I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And he got really threatened by that. And there was one point where he, he was like, well, we, we got a long conversation in, in his room and, and he says, like, he was like, well, wait, let's try to control more multiple people. I'm like, no, I don't have zero interest. Yeah. And eventually I said, well, I'll take you down. And I go, give, I'll give it a go. And the next day he tried to, he, I remember we were in theater class and I responded to the professor to some question and I'll give his first name. His name is John. And John, John said, you know, I don't think Sasha knows what he's saying. And he was actually trying to sort of make me look bad. And the, the woman that he had made the candle for was sitting next to me. Her name was Aaron. And Aaron said, oh, if you got to know John, you wouldn't, he's not such a bad guy if you get to know him. <laughs> and I said, Aaron, let me tell you a few things. And so, and I spent some time sharing with Aaron all those things that I knew that was going on and what was going on with John was doing this or that. And Aaron started freaking out. And what happened was all of this truth kind of came out and all the little things, the manipulations, people got to see what was going on because I was sharing it. Yeah. And I realized I sort of basically sort of walloped him with truth and he, he just, there was no way he could get around it. So yep. that was, that was a satisfying experience in that respect. Um, somewhere also while I was at that time, I had received a letter of disconnection from my best friend at the time, Michael Coleman. Um, he was at Delphi and he sent me a letter basically saying, this is my point of disconnection. It's clear that you're no longer a Scientologist. And, and I, I mean, I, and I was just, bereft. I remember reading that and I went, oh my God. And wow. I still thought I was in doubt. I thought in my world, I never had placed myself anywhere. I was you know, psychologically, I was saying I'm still in doubt, but that letter was like, okay, I'm, I'm no longer in doubt. I'm out. I'm done. Wow. It's the end. That was where I could say I'm no longer. The, and I remember going through this kind of, it's a process. I don't know if you, the, in the, this clear certainty rundown or whatever, I forget which process it is, or sunshine rundown. When you, after you test a clear, you're supposed to walk around, look at something near, look at something far, you know, yep. until you get a cognition and whatnot. Yeah, that's sunshine, sunshine rundown. That was a sunshine rundown. So I had a different process for this particular moment where I walked and I took a walk around, but it was reminiscent to it. And I said, this is fucked. That's fucked. That, that dog is fucked. That car is fucked. That tree is fucked. That house is fucked. Everything as I walked around, I just looked at everything. Said it's fucked, it's fucked, it's fucked. I went into a store, and in my stuff, I was smiling, saying, "But that's fucked." The whole thing. And it was an incredible experience, actually, <laughs> where I just said everything screwed up, and it was my because I was so just saddened and so heartbroken by the whole experience, and I had lost. I didn't have that. I was just sort of like, "It's all fucked." So I was. That was a very difficult spot. Um, the other thing that had happened. Um, when I had stepped away from the Boston Church of Christ, there was one girl who actually sought me out and said, you walked away from the Boston Church of Christ. I said, yeah, I did. And she says, I want to talk to you. And I said, sure. What about? Says, well, I'm, I have some questions about the Boston Church of Christ. And, I'm, I, and I've heard of your whole story of Scientology, and I, I kind of looking for some help. And so I, I was there, and I said, I'm happy to help you. And I spent some time helping her walk her way through and kind of what that process of getting out and sort of the challenges that I had gone through and what it was like and how you sort of build your own community and sort of from what I could see and experience. And lo and behold, I mean, she was attractive. I was like, okay, I'm sort of, and we connected or to a certain extent. Um, and, you know, I, for me, it was like, wow, I was like falling in love. Sadly, it was not 
fully reciprocated while we did some stuff, but it was not anything. She was like, listen, I'm not, I can't be where you are. I'm not at the place where, and I was like, I was hook, line and sinker. And she was like, no, I was, yeah, that was okay. But that was not, I'm not going the same way you're going. And that was really tough. And that was another point of really being in a difficult spot. And she being a good friend, she said, you know, you should see a psychologist. You should see somebody. I mean, you're clearly having a tough time and that's okay. I, I'm, I'm not, I can't be the one to help you, but there are services that can help you. And, you know, a psychologist, obviously that for me, from being a Scientology, that's like a bad word. Yeah. It's like a swear word or, you know, right. why, like- why am I supposed to say, I mean, can't there be something else? But she was right. I needed help. And so I thought, okay, let me do this. So I called, um, to, you know, with the, where it said, okay, you could go see a psychologist. So I went and made the call, made the appointment. I went up to the building. I had the appointment at like one o'clock and I looked at it. I was there and I walked around the building and then I went and found a phone. I called, I said, sorry, I can't make it. Oh man. <laughs> so it just, it just, because of that thought police that still existed, you know, you take the kid out of Scientology, you couldn't take the Scientology out of the kid. Yeah. I mean, it was still there and those thought police were there and it was very, very difficult. Um, I had a conversation with my good friend, Chris Courier. Um, he had asked about my story um, and I shared with him that I'd read the Barefaced Messiah and then I had kind of gone through the point to where I realized I was no longer a Scientologist. And he said, okay, well, this is my point of disconnection. And I said, oh, oh geez, man, this is not, not right. And it was tough. That was very tough for me. And I remember saying, well, you never clear the planet. And he says, why is that? He says, because there's always going to be someone like me around. And it was just this kind of like in your face. And he hung up on it, on me. Oh um, man. And, was, and so, was, so Michael and Chris were the two people that had been in the accident with you as well. Yeah. Well, Michael was dropped off. So he wasn't there. Oh, was Peter Milford okay. and Chris. Okay. Gotcha. Peter Milford and Chris. Yeah. They were both on there. But, but your close friends, none, they yeah. had been your closest or very close. Yeah. They had been, they had been very close friends of mine. And so they, that was really, really tough. Wow. My and by this point, me, you're, oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just about to ask about your dad. You, you yeah, got, my you dad got asked me to see the ethics officer at, at the AOLA. And so I said, sure, I'll go see the ethics officer. And I went to the ethics officer and I talked to her and, I, and uh, she said, well, do you think of Scientology as a cult? And that was like, okay, this is a trick question. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I had a I had a good answer. I said, well, it depends on how you define the word cult. And I think there are some people that can take things to an extreme. I think that some people can get into exercises, routines where it's a cult for them. They go so to such a great extent about doing this exercise routine that they've kind of joined their own cult of that mm-hmm. exercise or that workout routine. And to that extent, I believe there's probably some people within the church of Scientology that take it to such an extent that maybe for them, it is a cult. Mm. That is but, a great answer, by the way. <laughs> and it, it, the ethics officer couldn't. She said, okay, that's a fair response. You're right. And just so you know, your, your dad is, has some challenges with where, where you, what you're going through. But um, And so I said, that's fine. And so I, I was able to walk the line. I was really kind of pleased. And I told my dad about it. And uh, he said, well, this is my point of disconnection. Oh, no. Oh, and so I was like, oh, Jesus, this is really sucks. And that was, that was a tough oh. one for me. And I said, this was not my choice. I did not ask for this. And he did try. And it was very tough. And like three days later, he said, let's go have dinner. And I'm like, 
And it was like, you know, bridges have been burned here. I mean, this is not, you don't do that. You can't unsay some things here. Right. Um, there was another student, um, Allison, who was at Delphi. She, she asked to meet with me as well. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll meet with her. We met at Delphi. She was a beginner one supervisor or something like that, or teacher or whatever you want to call her. And she said, I want to hear your story. You know, I've heard and read many things about you, but I want you to tell it to me directly. And I said, sure, I'll tell you my story. And I went through the whole thing of what had happened to me and how I'd read the Barefaced Messiah and how I'd kind of come to this place. And I even I remember at the end, I said, you know, well, I certainly don't, I hope this isn't a choice that you make, but I'm prepared for the reality that you may just choose to disconnect from me and I'd understand and that's okay. And she said, no, I don't want to disconnect from you. I'm so sorry. I really am sorry for you. And I wish we could do more. And that just like was like a, a stab. You know, I couldn't believe that because it was so human. Mm. It was such a real response. It wasn't the automaton. It was a human speaking to a human saying, I care about you. Yeah. And if I had gotten that response from Michael and Chris and my dad, it would have been a hell of a lot harder for me to believe Scientology. Right. But instead, they chose that path. And she showed me actually a real, and she showed me. And I was like, oh, my God. And I just, I was just, she, she was, she was very sad. And I didn't even know what to say. And I remember I left Delphi and I took my car that I had at the time. And I drove up Angeles Crest Highway. And I found this outlook looking over Pasadena. And I just sobbed because I just left everything. I mean, I was, that was it. And I didn't have anything. And there was somebody right at the end showing me we're all humans. Yeah. And they're there in Scientology right there. And there, it was just, it was just devastating. Wow. So I went back to, um, so that was the, the kind of from there trying to figure out how to rebuild my life, coming back and going to UNH. Years later, Michael Coleman did call me and he said, how you doing? What's going on? And I said, hey. and I was like, oh, wow, how's Peter? How's Chris? And he says, you didn't hear? I said, what? He says, you, you, I could have sworn somebody would have told you, Sasha. And I said, what, you, what is it? What are you talking about? Chris is dead. <sighs> and I didn't know that. What? And uh, he died a couple, I don't know, a year or two early. I don't know when it was. Um, I think he was 19 or so. And he was a very good friend of mine. And I just couldn't believe it. Nobody let me know. And it was just and he was so, so somewhat shocked and told me, I guess he had bone cancer or something like that. Wow. And it was very sad. Um, and, and sadly for me, the last com communication I had with him was, you know, you'll never clear the planet because of somebody like me. So I was just, I was, I was heartbroken by the whole thing. Yeah, that's terrible. That's so, a, at such a young age too. And of course, in, in true Scientology approach, they never even told you. No, no. They, yeah. I mean, I later got to hear from different people that were there at the, at, at the funeral, what had happened, how it went. Um, and, and, and I, that I appreciate, and I know his brothers who I, I knew and I, and I did heard a story like one of his brothers, Daniel actually took his license on Chris's 21st birthday, even though Daniel was underage, took the used Chris's license to get a beer more mm. in memory memory of Chris, sort of drinking a beer for him, which is oh, I see. Sad. Um, I did, and and I did run into. I saw Lauren, Michael, 
Daniel and Patrick, which are Chris's brothers in Boston. We went and had dinner together. It was very nice, but very much good where roads, fair weather. It was never anything very real. Yeah. Um, Lauren, who went to Delphi, had made an effort to actually get me back in in earnest. And uh, I said, I'd be happy to have you work to get me back in if you let me share my story. And she and I went through a series of letters that went back and forth of me trying to um, tell tell my story. And as best I could, me trying to talk to a current Scientologist, knowing Scientology think as best as I could, trying to couch it as safely as I could. Yeah. And she did a very good job of responding all the way through, but very much like a Scientologist with right. kind of non-response, but a response. And so she was there, but not really, but she was responding. So you had yeah. to give her credit. Yeah. And it was a powerful set of letters for me. And I, I went through the whole thing and shared my whole story. And at the end, I remember asking her, you know, everything that had gone on. And even though I, at some point I realized, you know, she was no longer, couldn't really follow what I was saying at all. Yeah. But I said, you've seen and heard, you've heard everything that I've gone through. Go, going through it the way I did, what would I have done differently? You know, if, how, and I, I thought this was a good, I got her now. And uh, <laughs> she said, well, maybe you could go see a chaplain at the time. And I'm like, oh, and, uh, yeah, right. Like a chaplain was really going to get me out of that one. There, these were the way for me. And because many stories like yours and Mark's, I mean, th th those are horrific tales of what you guys had to go through where you're literally escaping. My story is much more academic, which was more of me sort of going through like this sort of philosophic journey of trying to understand who this was and then watching how the machine played itself out yeah. in, you know, Scientology public. And my effort was to say that I don't have overts or withholds and I'm not, I'm not saying uh, I don't have misunderstandings. I do understand Scientology very well, but I'm yet making that choice to take a step away. And that's right. the choice that I made. So, and I've made efforts to try and talk to, I mean, talk to Alice and talk to others, but it's always the same. Sadly, once you've, you know, I can't communicate in a way to help them understand. So I so love what you guys are doing um, yeah. because it's just so powerful. Uh, yeah. And it, you make a really good point though, because you're right. A Scientologist is willing to have a conversation, but, but with a preordained set destination as to where that is going to end. And at a point where if they get to the realization that it's not going the way they want it to go and it's not going to reach that predetermined end point that they've envisioned, they're going to write it off. Right. Yeah. Wow. And so so what happened with your dad? So years later, that's a good question. So he did reach out to me. I mean, I went, I was living in Boston. And uh, he was still very much good Scientologist. And then at one point he reached out to me and said, Hey, Sasha, I read Bareface Messiah. Now we can talk. <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> let's take some time on that one because, and it, to his credit, he worked hard. I mean, he, I had gone through a number of experiences. I mean, I got married to a woman 18 years, my, my senior and then divorced. It's a whole other aspects of, and, and ways people said you you married your own cult. And I kind of had to work my way through because it was a very tightly, I mean, it was very sort of mind control in its own way, but, and I was able to get out of it. Um, but, and I remember through that process, I had written 
to my, my mom and my dad about my upbringing. And my dad had written me back and said, you know what? I just didn't know what I was doing at the time. And I really am sorry. And I do appreciate that. And that was a, at that time when he wrote written that response, it was a time where he was really trying and he actually gotten out of the church and he was really trying to be a human person. And so we were able to have a very good relationship with him over time. I mean, he stayed in California until about six years ago in 2017, where he was living with his sister in Northern California and uh, he had was put into hospice care. Um, and so I flew out or he was actually, he had a idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis and I came to, to where he was in the hospital and they said he only has about six months to live. Um, my wife wonderfully was said, you know, the bright place for him is to come to our house. We could wow. put him. So we brought him home. Uh, we flew, we flew him across country, which was, he was only allowed one flight, which is to come back here and hospice care was amazing. And then he stayed with us for six months. He wasn't the best patient that, that I can tell you, but um, I spent a lot of time with him, um, getting to chat with him and hear his whole story. Um, and I know, I mean, there were great things for me because I know he was very proud of what I was able to do. I mean, it was nice having gotten out because he knew I really wanted a family and I wanted this sort of to create what I was able to create. And I love yeah what we've created. And he was very happy for me. It wasn't something he was able to do. And I know he was looking for probably a different road, but he knew that I was happy and that was something that mattered to me. And, and so that was, that was good. So yeah, that was that story. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just so grateful that you were able to reconnect Yeah, for whatever time you did. Cause, because you're right, there's damage done by disconnection that cannot be walked back fully anyway. Yeah, it's well, I mean, it's true because I can there's times where I can like with my dad, I could appreciate the fact that he was doing what he believed was right at the time, even right. though it was at my expense. It was not taking I mean, I'm his own son. And he but for whatever reasons, he was really trying to figure things out. He didn't. I mean, I guess in a way. I kind of look at it. He just didn't have the capacity. He didn't have the mental health to really see and understand in a broader sense. So I, yeah. I, I return with generosity of looking at my history, not one of, Oh, I was wronged. I'm a victim. It was more of, he came from a place of his own upbringing and really trying to find truth and whatnot. And Scientology was an answer that he thought was right. And right. he gave it his best and he gave it all he had. And he brought me up and he spent a lot and he was, he did what he believed was right. I mean, he brought yeah. me to sent me to Scientology schools because he thought that was the best that could be done. I mean, I don't think it was the best that could be done, but no. that was what he, <laughs> that was his understanding of the best. Right. So I, I, I appreciate that. Um, and so I, 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 fortunately I'm able to respond for my own mental health with a lot of generosity and care for, for him and, and, and how he made those choices. So, yeah, well, that's a, an incredibly gracious perspective. Sasha, so <laughs> hats yeah. off to you for that. <laughs> I can appreciate that. That's not easy for everybody. I mean, no, no, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. From, from my perspective, obviously we have very different experiences growing up because my mother joined the C organization when I was four, my, in, you know, and again, I know hindsight's 2020 and I'm very, painfully aware of that at many different times in my life. But my perspective on having grown up in Scientology is the simple, to me, summary that unconditional love doesn't exist in Scientology by virtue of that belief system and that machine. That's... So, but but that was somehow 
pushed out of her. Right. Not, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, she thought she was giving you the best thing possible. Yep. She thought she was giving you like, as, as my, my dad thought, Oh, I'm putting him on the pedestal of this incredible experience. And here you are this golden child, boy, you were brought, brought in at four years old. Wow. What a gift. Now, I mean, lo and behold, we now know that was clearly not a gift. Yep. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's that, that's the, I mean, that was for me. And I, I guess in taking that generous tone, it's been very rewarding. Not that I, I could say, Hey, wow, great for my dad, but it gave me solace. It gave me peace. Yeah. So I actually can let it go. I don't have to worry about the choices and how that affected me because I can acknowledge and accept that he made those choices. And I, I hope that you and I don't know. I mean, it's your own journey with respect to your mom's choices because that's that is tough. I mean, my best friend from the, June. I talked about June earlier, and Robert was brought into the the Sea Org when he was like same age as you, or five or six or something like that. It was in the Cadet Org and all this stuff. And he sadly he he um, he died of alcoholism um, about two three years ago, and yeah. I, I could never reconnect with him. He it was very difficult. Uh, I tried very hard. It was, I mean, we were best friends from two to nine, but then we lost touch. And I, and I know he left because his parents were out of Scientology. So he, he only had that Sea Org experience and then trying to figure out his own road, which he never really found. And I so thought I could have been that person and I couldn't, but um, I, I don't know how I got into that, but it's just, th those are sad because it was, it's hard to get, to find those connections at times. That's where, seeing you and Mark, you know, and having that shared past and then coming to the other side and seeing the successes of what you've created with your family and what, what I've created with my family. And it's Absolutely. just, it's so beautiful that I'm so grateful. And that's, and I'm grateful that what you guys are doing to help in whatever way. And if there's anything that my story helps for people to hear, I, I'm delighted. I want to yeah. do it as best I can. No, it's awesome. And my personal perspective is that every story matters. Every voice counts. And, you know, the more we shine a light on this and the more we help people understand what this is all about, you know, if we save one person from going into that and going down that path, then it was worth it. If we can help one person get out, it's worth it, you know, day in, day out to to keep on doing the work, you know, that's just at the end of the day, what matters and what better way to close out this story than to continue on this path in this way, in my opinion. Yeah, I know. Thank you very much. It really is a pleasure. I really <laughs> yes. delighted to be part of this. Absolutely. And we will have part two coming, which I'm not going to spill the beans on. We'll introduce that separately, but I'm so excited for that because what, what you do is amazing. And, and again, just thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and, and also to um, helping me understand the, the details that I, I hadn't filled in just because, you know, we've, I knew Mark, like I told you before, Mark knew you and I didn't. So it's just really yeah. nice to to fill in those pieces. And I will very much look forward to our next um, episode. Okay, <laughs> sounds great. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you very, you very much. much. Until next time. Bye-bye. All right, bye.